TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Home and home. Massive changes coming your way to the NFL preseason, regular season, postseason. Everything as you know it will change. According to Adam Schefter's report, they will shorten one game from the preseason in the new collective bargaining agreement. They will lengthen the regular season from 16 to 17 games. Significant, of course, because you will no longer have that home road balance of eight and eight. It will be unbalanced unless they can find enough international games. But the real focus this morning and where we'll start is with the postseason changes. Seven teams from each conference playoff expansion and only one team, the number one seed gets that buy. So one fewer team with a buy in that first round, more playoff action in week one, six wild card games. No surprise, I am the get off my yard, negative, grumpy old man. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Ross Tucker, here's what nobody said ever last season. You know what we really need? The Pittsburgh Steelers in the postseason at 8-8. Eight and eight. You know what else nobody said last year? The mediocre L.A. Rams in the postseason. That's what we really need. We don't need to water down the playoffs and the, com- the competition level I'm thrilled at the concept of my Broncos having a better chance to make the playoffs. But listen, man, no, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why water down the accomplishment of making the playoffs? Rarely, if ever, are we saying we need one more team, an 8-8, eight and eight, a 9-7 and seven type team in the postseason. I hate it, but that's my role here, Ross. Yeah, you are the negative Nancy of our show, and so I'm not surprised by that. I got to be honest with you. I think that you can make pretty good arguments either way. What I would say in response to what you just said is, number one, Steelers fans were saying that. Number two, Rams fans were saying that. And also, the fans of other teams that were close to almost making it, they would have loved if there was a seventh opportunity in their conference. Then, by the way, there are years where you have a team like an 11-5 and Patriots that didn't make it, that they would now get an opportunity that they probably do deserve. To your point about, you know what nobody is saying, you know what nobody will be saying come the first weekend in January. Man, I am so mad that there are two more playoff games to watch this weekend. That sucks. I hate watching NFL playoff football. Nobody will be saying that either. And if you think about it, you know, when they first went to the 12 teams in the playoffs, there was only 28 teams in the league, right? So this is before Jacksonville, before Carolina, 
in the mid-90s, certainly before the Houston Texans. So when they first did this, there were 28 teams. 12 made the playoffs. That is 42.9%. Now there will be 14 out of 32. That's 43.8%. It's really not that much of a difference. It's really not that big a deal compared to when they first went to 12 teams back in 1990. It's not that big a deal. So there are different ways to look at it, right? From a purely player standpoint, Dave, which is a perspective that I can provide, I love it. I I love it. What you have is four more teams. So what is that, 12.5%? Four more teams have to play one more football game and we all get a shitload of money as a result. I'm I'm down with that. All the guys in the NFL, it's a huge influx of dollars to have those two more standalone games, wild card weekend, huge influx of dollars that gets spread evenly throughout the salary cap for the players. Love it. Maybe, and we'll see the deal when it finally comes out, maybe there's even some extra little Cashola for former players. Nothing wrong with that in terms of the benefits. So from a player financial perspective, I love it. From an NFL financial perspective, I love it. And what I feel like people on Twitter sometimes fail to realize, Dave, like this whole thing is just like a made-up business, right? Like in the 20s, these guys thought, you know what? Maybe we can make money having paying guys to play football and having people pay to come see them play football. Like the whole thing is about money. So they're going to constantly be trying to find different ways to increase the revenue because that's what every business does because that's what every business should do. So players perspective, NFL perspective, we get all that. What I think is a good discussion, fan perspective, and you laid out the one argument, which is, is it ultimately a good thing for the fans? Because we know it is for the players in the league. Well, there has been one player, and that's Richard Sherman, who's been pushing back a little bit on the notion that this is all good news. But raising all boats, certainly it does that. $5 billion estimated that it will spread across all the players. That's huge. But again, my chief concern is about the watering down of the postseason accomplishment. And here are the numbers to back that up. If you look at the last 10 years, if we use this playoff format – this format would have added six eight-win teams over the last 10 years. Six teams that were 500. The definition of mediocrity. That is the definition of not a playoff team, not an excellent team. That's exactly what we should be trying to prevent. I understand it's a business and it's all about money, but I just say and be careful what you wish for. If you start having more mediocre teams making the postseason, is that really great for the fans? It would also add nine nine win teams over the last decade. So again, eight and nine win teams. Are those the types of teams that need to be in the playoffs? In my estimation, no. 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And you are big time watering down what it means to make the postseason. But I also really don't like the idea of just one buy. And here's why. The last seven, the last seven Super Bowl champs have had a buy in the wild card round. So what does that tell you? Now that strictly that number one seed has so much advantage and will really change things as we know it. I mean, let's look back on next season. There is one thing nobody, another thing nobody was saying is we don't want the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Everybody wanted Kansas City in the Super Bowl. So what if that team that everybody wants slips to the two seed, doesn't get the bye, has to play extra football, makes it that much more likely that the number one seed goes straight to the playoffs the last 10 years. So that's 20 teams in the Super Bowl. Only three teams made the Super Bowl in 10 years without a first-round bye. That's something they talked about on 92.3, the fan in Pittsburgh. Let's listen as we fire up the radio.com red zone. If you get the one seed, I think now it's, it's easier than ever before. I know upsets happen in the NFL, and we saw it last year. We saw we saw we see upsets every single year, but the one seed now has a Titans pulled to me has a better off. shot. Yeah, they did. One seed has a better shot now, I think, because uh, not to mention if there <sighs> is if there are upsets, you still get the best seed. You know, as the one seed, you just wait for the worst team around. So even if like let's say let's say there is an upset and the seven be- seven seed beats the two seed, now you get to play the seventh seed uh, in that second round, where before you would only play the, the sixth seed. I think it's easier with this setup than ever before to get to the Super Bowl. I said 92-3. The fan that is uh, in Cleveland. We'll we'll get to 93-7 in Pittsburgh in just a minute. But, Ross, what about that? We moved on from the watering down of the postseason accomplishment, which I hate. But you have to agree that this makes it that much more likely that the number one seed plays in the Super Bowl. How do you spin that as a positive? Yeah, so I I think that both the seven seed and the one seed, Dave, are really interesting, right? Because the seven seed for a second, okay? There will be years where it will make the end of the season more compelling because there's more teams that have a chance to get that seven or six seed. And I think that's good. But I also think there will be years, Dave, where it's like there's a cutoff and it's pretty clear that the seven seed and six seed who they are and that there's actually less drama at the end of the year. So I I think that's going to depend on the year. In terms of the one seed, you know, I guess the positive is it'll make it even more important to be the number one seed. And teams will be fighting for that even more. What I don't like about it is it waters down the accomplishment or diminishes the accomplishment of the two seed. Because now there's really not that much value in being the two seed. I kind of like, Dave, that it's like number one seed, a little bit of a gap. Number two seed, a little bit of a gap. And then three and four. And then five and six, right? Now it's like number one seed, huge gap, number two, three, four, and then number five, six, seven. I don't like that there's really no value in the two seed. That's what bothers me about it. 
Not that it makes the number one seed even more valuable. Um, my issue is the number one seed already was valuable. Now the number two seed isn't really shit. The number two seed is really not that much better than being number three and number four. So think about this year's playoffs, right? Like think about the Chiefs. That two seed that they got when Fitzmagic beat the Patriots wouldn't be as valuable. There's really very little difference between being the two seed or the four seed when typically the two seed is like badass 13 and three or whatever, like the Packers and the four seed is nah, nine and seven, like the Eagles. I don't like what it does to the two seed. That is the biggest negative I see in this new format. It diminishes the importance of the two seed. And so now that there's going to be, if there's an awesome team that's clearly the number one seed, there's just not as much drama to see, well, who gets the other bye? Who gets the other bye? How about nobody? Because there is no other bye. Right. And what if five years from now, we're not only looking at, again, the watered down accomplishment. If every year we have an eight and eight team in the postseason, that will suck. But what if five years from now, we've got five straight Super Bowls of number one seed versus number one seed. Yet no one can tell me that won't harm the overall product of the NFL and lessen the drama and excitement of the postseason, which right now, right now is perfect. And if five years from now you've just got number one seeds meeting in the Super Bowl, that is bad for everyone. So I'm just saying, pump the brakes a little bit on this excitement of uh, just more is better for everyone. Maybe not. What about more regular season games? So now you've got 17 regular season games. And this is all a big if. If the players agree to this, if they get something beyond that $5 billion in extra cash, and maybe that is all they want. I hope for, hopefully there is more benefits for retired players, as Ross Tucker mentioned. But what about the unbalance of the schedule now? It was eight home games, eight road games. Now what is it? Now are you Jacksonville? Is everyone playing an international game? They talked about that on 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh. You know, fans have long complained, well, if I'm going to pay season ticket prices right. for 10 games, essentially, right? Because the two preseason games are a part of this. Well, wait a second. You want me to pay this now, but I'm only getting one preseason game, which I wasn't a big fan of anyway. Okay, whatever. And now I might only get, I might not get any additional home games. And I can't imagine ticket prices are going to drop anywhere. I mean, even the Browns are raising ticket prices, for God's sake. So, if you're a fan, especially a season ticket holder, and again, this is a fraction of the revenue that TV creates, but still, it's revenue if you're an owner. How do the fans react to, I don't know, maybe there's only eight home games in a given year. Or Art saying, hey, you know what? We're playing? Yeah, we're playing the Eagles right, in Cairo. Let's go. Like, right. you know, like that's This is going to, I, I think there's going to be Mexico City games. There's going to be Toronto games. There's going to be London games and a bunch of them. There may be even non-traditional sites within our country. You oh. may play games at, you may play games in Madison, Wisconsin, in Happy Valley. You may play games Buccaneers, at, Dolphins in Orlando. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That kind of stuff. 93-7, the fan in Pittsburgh. No team in football over the last 10 years, if we had this format, would benefit 
more than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They tend to be that team that is right on the cut line and now would be in the postseason, including last year's mediocre 8-18. Eight and 18. But what about that imbalance of the schedule, Ross? How will that work out? And is it just about finding that many international games, which, as we've seen, ain't always a good thing? Yeah, so that's going to be th- – those details have not come out yet. I have to imagine that every team will play one neutral site game. Have to <laughs> imagine that. So I also don't know how they handle the imbalance of three preseason games and who gets to play two at home versus two on the road. It's not that big a deal, but it is an issue from a season ticket holder standpoint. You know, it's interesting, Dave, because – Right now, everything is so darn perfect. 32 teams, eight divisions, four teams in each division, four preseason, 16 regular season. It's like so smooth. It's like butter. I mean, it is perfect. Every, like, you know, the way they have the rotation of who plays who, it's formulaic. There is no, um, well, this team could play this team. No, we know what the schedule is every year. I love that part of it. I'm a detail-oriented guy. I like things organized, so I love that part of it. I do, though, also love the idea of every team playing one neutral site game and nobody losing a home regular season game. It's not fair to the teams that lose home regular season games. And now that the Raiders, Chargers, and Rams are all going to have beautiful new stadiums, nobody's really going to be volunteering to give up a home game to go to London, other than the Jags. Nobody's going to want to do that. So now you won't have to do that. I am curious to see what the neutral site locations will be, though, because there's a lot that goes into making a stadium fitted for an NFL game, you know, being able to handle an NFL game a lot more than people think. Uh, As a guy, by the way, that does preseason games on TV, not thrilled with that because, A, I like the money you do in the preseason games, but, B, I still think the preseason games are very valuable, especially if the XFL goes away. You know, those guys need a chance to show what they can do. And even if the starters don't play that much, think about the Philadelphia Eagles and knowing that they should keep Greg Ward and Boston Scott and these guys based on the preseason games. And then late in the season, those are the guys making plays to get them a division championship and into the playoffs. I, I, I've, not, I've never been a fan of less preseason games. I totally understand why people don't love watching them, but It's not a negative for the players. The starters don't play anyway. It's good for the coaches and for the younger players to be able to see who can play and who can't. And now there will be one less opportunity to do so. So not a huge fan of that. And then you look at the calendar, Dave, and when do they do it? They're not going to start the regular season Labor Day weekend. They're not going to do that. So what happens is, The preseason games will start a week later. The NFL regular season will end a week later. It's not like it'll end at the same time. 
And then is there another bye so they can push the Super Bowl to President's Day weekend? I mean, what are we talking about here? All right, Saturday marks 40 years from the miracle on ice, arguably the greatest upset in the history of sports and one of the greatest moments of all time any sport we have ever experienced. I'm Dave Briggs on a Thursday home and home. I'm in Colorado. Ross Tucker back in Pennsylvania. Joining us, one of the members of the Miracle on Ice team, Jack O'Callaghan, as they prepare to celebrate the accomplishment. Jack, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's Dave Briggs and it's Ross Tucker. I know you dropped the puck at the Blackhawks game. Awesome to see that. Uh, Are you shocked at how increasingly relevant that accomplishment was 40 years ago, how it remains such a relevant moment 40 years later. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm shocked. It is pretty, it's pretty great. It's been 40 years of fun conversations and uh, means a lot to people. It made people feel good 40 years ago. It still makes people feel good. So, I mean, that's the real, the key to it. I don't think anybody remembers who passed the puck to who or who scored what. I mean, Arizioni's goal, obviously is memorable. But other than that, I mean, the game's kind of, you know, they all mix together. But uh, the memory and the feelings are really, uh, I think, I think what has prolonged the discussion. Jack, does it feel like it's been 40 years or not at all? Well, take a look at me, man. You think it's been 40 years? I look, I look in the mirror, it feels like 40 years. I'll tell you that much. And when I get up out of bed in the morning, my back's a little achy. It feels like 40 <laughs> years. But uh, Yeah, I don't know. You know how it is. It's like you still feel like you're 15 years old, but you're 62 now. So things change, and um, nobody's getting any younger. When everybody's got grandkids now, and uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Or it is what it is. <laughs> it's been fun, right. though. Absolutely. Let's go back and let's just remember what that moment sounded like. Here is the iconic call from 40 years ago, Saturday. All right, Jack O'Callaghan back with us. Jack, take me back, not just to that moment, to the beating of the Russians, and just tell me, share with us a little bit of what the emotions were like at the moment when you realized this actually happened. Yeah, I don't know. It was kind of surreal, unreal, crazy. We were playing the Russians. Felt like we had them, though, for the last minute or two, you know. It feel, felt like they were doing things that were out of character. They were dumping the puck in. They were spinning their wheels a little bit. We were more in control. We were fit. We were emotionally, you know, on fire. Uh, yeah, I mean, the last minute or so, I don't know. You know, they were kind of buzzing around a little bit, but they really couldn't get in our zone for any sustained pressure. They would kind of dump it in. We'd get it, fire it back out. They were kind of spinning around center ice. It was kind of fun to watch, actually. Um yeah, and then when it was over, I don't know. It, it was it was just unbelievable because uh, I can't really remember everything that happened. Uh, I kind of remember how I felt. I guess I was just like so jacked up, you know. I came off the bench. I mean, I tackled Mike Ramsey. We're looking at each other. I put my arms in the air. I'm like, you know, 
And it was just, everybody was going kind of crazy. It was pretty awesome. I mean, it was almost like when we won the gold medal against Finland, it was, so, it wasn't nearly as high of a emotional kind of explosion uh, as the Russian game. The Finnish game, you know, on Sunday morning was a little freaky. It was almost like it was a sense of relief when that was over because we could have screwed that thing up and who knows, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but um, so there was a sense of relief when we beat Finland. And it was just a sense of just pure elation and kind of joy and uh, yeah, emotion overflow when we beat the Russians, for sure. All right, so Jack, I was born in 79. So obviously, you know, I've, I've seen the videos and the movies and stuff, but wasn't, wasn't able to really watch it live. Was it really that much of an upset? And like, why was, why was it that much of an upset? Like, if you played them 100 times, how many yeah. times did Russia win? How many times did U.S. win? Well, I mean, a hundred times is a lot. I don't know. We probably, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. They were. It's hard to say. They could have beat us a hundred times. I mean, I don't even know. I can't even believe we beat them once. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, upset. You know, we were pretty. We were a good team. We had really good players, and we were really well coached. We were really fit. Um, you know, we were really good. We had. I mean, guys played next 10 years, played in the NHL, you know, had good careers. Um, but, you know, they were the Russians, man. They beat everybody. You know, they, they beat the best players in the NHL. And uh, the only way the NHL could even compete with them was if they had local refs that favored the NHL guys. And then the NHL guys basically would break their sticks over their ankles and arms and there was no penalty. So that's how the NHL stayed with these guys. I mean, if you tried to play them, just skate with them. Nobody could beat them. And they were all like big, strong dudes, you know, six, like built like, they were like big bears, man. And you're trying to play against these guys. <laughs> it was pretty hard. You know, we were all 20, 20, yeah. early 20s. These guys were mid, late 20s. They were grownups. We were like kind of kids. We just had a lot of belief and we had a lot of emotion and we were really fit. And like I said, we were pretty talented. And when Herbie picked the team, you know, he picked like, Leaders of, of their college teams, captains and, and, and champions, guys that have won NCAA championships. And so, you know, we had, we had, there was no quit in us, that's for sure. And we, after they beat us 10 to 3, we were kind of a little aggravated about it. So, you know, we kind of buckled down and paid attention. And I don't know, we knew we had to be close going into the third. We were only down a goal. That's like being up, up a couple against those guys. So, you know, mm -hmm. we only had 20 minutes to play and get great goaltending, obviously. And um, yeah. Just kind of outlasted them. And then, you know, we got a couple timely goals. I mean, Rizzioni, I played with him for a couple of years in college. I mean, the guy could score from anywhere. You know, I, when he scored that goal, I was like, yeah. I'm not even surprised because he, he, I mean, he'd take these shots like from the corner, would hit somebody in the, in the, you know, in the butt, you know, ricochet in the net. And he'd be like, yeah, whatever. You know, that's how I score goals. So, yeah. I wasn't surprised when Mike scored, like, you know, kind of off the, you know, he grabs it, he's in the middle of the ice, he's off the wrong foot, he fires it, it kind of snakes through this, that, and the other thing, it's in the net. I'm like, everybody was going, oh, you believe that shot? I was like, yeah, I do, actually. I've seen it a million times. <laughs> Jack O'Callaghan with us, member of the Miracle on Ice team 40 years ago Saturday. Yeah, the Soviet Union had won gold in the previous four Olympic Games and had won 16 world championships from 61 to 79 Arguably the most dominant run we've ever seen in any sport. Um, Jack, what's the biggest misconception about either the run or the chemistry 
or coach um, that, that, that you've seen play out either in that movie or just through stories over the years? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. You know, the movie was pretty good. I mean, it, it kind of, in a two hour time frame, it, it sort of, it tried to explain what happened over nine or 10 months, right? Or even you could say over two years. Um, so they had a condensed stuff, you know, they kind of focused on the rift between the Eastern guys and the Western guys. Um, you know, there were only four of us from New England and then everybody else was from the Midwest. So, um, you know, think about it. I mean, if it wasn't for us, all those guys would have been talking about was ice fishing and like cow tipping. Think about that. So, you know, we actually brought a little kind of, you know, I don't know, like kind of urban pizzazz to that team. Right. So um, it, it, we did have a very close knit group. Um, all that rivalry stuff had kind of, dis- you know, kind of disappeared. I don't know, a year or so prior. Um, and by the time we got together, we were actually became really good friends. You know, we were we would cross pollinate with each other. We would hang out. We would go out here and there. You know, some guys had their girlfriends living with them and this and that. And, you know, Kenny Morrow got married r- real early. So, you know, some guys were kind of under the thumb a little bit. So you didn't see a lot of those guys after practice or some stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, we hung out a lot. We, we You know, we were buddies. I, I think that's probably misstated that there was this rift on the team. There really wasn't. Um, you know, there, there was prior, years prior. But by the time we got around to the Olympics, we were all kind of one unit. And we're still to this day pretty good buddies, you know. Like we're gonna have fun in Las Vegas uh, the next couple of days. You know, guys will be kind of razzing each other here and there, just little, you know, stuff. But you know, guys, I mean, it's a bunch of guys that really kind of care about each other. So it's it's a you know, pretty good, uh, pretty good group of group of people. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. What we do here every day on Home and Home is we expand on Ask Reddit, which is where arguably the most intriguing questions in the country and on the planet are discussed each and every day. And today's answer Reddit here on Home and Home is a stroll down memory lane. And it's this question. What would you like to have had in high school that kids have today? So, Ross Tucker, there's so many ideas out there. Obviously, social media, iPhones, hell, just the the Internet today. So many ideas, so many concepts, so many things to choose from. What do you wish that you had in high school that the kids have today? So this is very easy for me, although I wonder if I can separate it out. Um, And the answer is... I wish we had the ability to text message. So 
it's weird, Dave. I don't really need all the social media. I don't really need. It's almost like I wish we had the phones that we had in 2003, 2004, in 1994, 95, and 96. I don't need the great ability to take videos or pictures. That probably would not have been a good idea. I don't need all the social media, but just the ability to text message because of two things, Dave. One is that back then, all we had was home phones. So I was typically playing a sport. A lot of my friends were not. And so it was very difficult to know where they were after my game was over because they're having a party somewhere, but they were going to tell their parents where the party was. So I had to like drive around and try to find their cars. That was a pain in the ass. It would have been so nice to be able to text them and say, where are you guys? Then there are certain uh, reasons in terms of the ladies and dating for which I think text messaging could have been very helpful. And I'll probably just leave it at that. This is a family show. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you got a safe bet to leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, when I first thought of this, I thought, oh, social media. But then I let that marinate for about two minutes and realized I would want no fucking part of social media. No, none whatsoever. I wouldn't want YouTube either. I'm not sure I would be here today still broadcasting if some of my early mistakes were broadcast on YouTube. I probably wouldn't have survived it. Cell phones, not necessarily. That's too much connectivity and availability for me. I really would have enjoyed the simple pleasure of Google because, again, it is a family show. Nah, hell, it's not. I'll just be honest here. TMI is on your way, Ross. Too much information. I would have benefited from the education you can get on Google about uh, things you're exploring as a young teenager. My that, parents, Ross. I, now, I, my, I keep going. This is awesome. You're right about my, this. Keep going. My parents, and I've never want, never known why. I haven't asked them. Never had the talk with me. They never had the birds and bees talk with me. One day I went into my bathroom, and there were just condoms in the drawer. And I looked at my older brother and said, "What?" Where'd these come from? He said, I don't know. I guess mom and dad. I never really had an outlet to learn about those extracurricular activities with the ladies. And I really would have enjoyed that type of information available at my fingertips. I think I would have enjoyed high school a lot more. There was a lot of opportunity. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, on the one hand, if I would have been more knowledgeable about certain things, then um, I think it would have been, man, this is tough. I think I could have been um, more productive, uh, I guess would be one way to describe it. On the other hand, um, I still would have rather just had the ability to text because for the most part, yeah, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I don't know what to say. For the most Come part, on, man. Things, for the most part, I got what I wanted out of it. And, um, you know, let's put it this way. 
the knowledge that I would have gained would have been more useful for the girls I was dating than it was for me, if that makes sense. <laughs> they, yes. they, they probably really wish that I had Google <laughs> back then. Yes, that but was I exactly. Didn't, I didn't need, I didn't, but for me personally, the Google part of it was not as important. The text messaging, that would have been important. Okay, I don't know why you're suddenly clamming up. Can you just be upfront and not, what are you holding back on us about what text messaging would add to your life? Come on, Ross. We won't well, repost it's a very, this it's anywhere. A very, it's a very effective mechanism to put a lot of um, lines in the water, right? Like, pretend like you're fishing. Okay. Texting is a very timely, efficient to put multiple lines in the water at one time, as opposed to just going to some party and having one line in, you could, I could have had lots of lines in high school and college, lots of lines in and decide which was the biggest fish. This is a good point there. There, it would be easier to cast, but then it's also easier for people to track you down. And I don't think I would have ever been comfortable with um, the photos that kids text today. No, and thank no, God I'm saying, I'm saying early, early 2000 cell phone, you can text, but your phones really can't take pictures or if they do, okay. it's shitty. Like I specifically don't want the pictures. No, no pictures. Don't need that. I got my memories. And they're golden. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think we've come down on exactly how this would improve our lives. I needed the information. And look, it sounds a little selfish of you, Ross Tucker, to say that only, you know, I mean, look, you. I think you would have benefited too from more information, from more, uh, more technique, from more education, courtesy a, a Google search. But I don't know, that, that would have really helped my social life. I didn't need to know where the party was because Ross, come on, where I was, was the party. So I didn't need to know where everyone else was after sports. They were all just waiting for me to start the party. But here are the top answers on Reddit from, I think the young kids, an environment in which being smart is a good thing and nerdy is not a bad thing. That is very true. Nerds are pretty cool today. Back then, it was a torturous environment for them, and being smart wasn't necessarily give you any street cred. Uh, the internet, that's an obvious one. MP3 players, Spotify, and the like, eh, that's not even among my top five. Not a music guy. I don't think that would have changed my life a whole lot. No, and so I'm going to tell you something. I've never sit on the airwaves, okay? This was seventh or eighth grade. And my locker, the guy who had the locker next to me, who, by the way, was an absolute stud athlete, went to Syracuse on a soccer scholarship. He was talking about something. And he said it looked like something that rhymes with whiz, like cheese whiz, okay? He said something looked like whiz. Use your yes. imagination. I'm with and you. I, I got said, 
I said, what is that? Cheese? He goes, no, the thing that rhymes with whiz. I said, cheese? He said, no, the thing that rhymes with whiz. I'm like, what is the thing that rhymes with whiz? He said, you know, like, come over here, Teresa. Come over here. So there you go. By the way, it was Matt Torok and Teresa Williams. So I say to Teresa Williams, a girl next to, on the other side, I say, what is the thing that rhymes with whiz? She's, she starts laughing and says, <laughs> oh, Ross. So I get home from school that day, okay? And I say to my mom, Dave, I'm oh, in seventh or eighth grade. I say to my mom, mom, what is the thing that starts with a J that rhymes with whiz? And my oh. mom had no idea. My mom's like, I don't know. I've never heard that before. I'm like, you've never heard of rhymes with whiz starts with a J. She said, no. I said, well, they also said, they also called it. Come over here, mom. You know, so that's the way I'm saying the other one that I don't want to say on the radio. Right. And my yeah. mom said, my mom said, my sister's four years older than me. My mom said, ask your sister, and walked out of the room immediately. <laughs> ask your sister, and walked out of the room immediately. So then my sister gets home that night, and I think I might have been in eighth grade, and my sister was a senior. And my sister gets home that night, and I think I ask her at the dinner table, because I still don't know. I still oh don't know. And my sister says, I'll tell you after dinner. And then after dinner, she says, it's semen. And I said, why wouldn't anybody just say that word? Why wouldn't anyone just tell me? I know what that is. And she's like, well, that's what it is. And I remember thinking, what good is an older sister if I'm at school in eighth grade Okay, yeah. wanting to know if the thing that rhymes with whiz is cheese and not <laughs> knowing what it was and then having to ask my mom and be like, good looking out, Bryn, my sister, who I'm going to see this weekend skiing. Yeah. Good looking out. Who is Joe Judge? How good is Daniel Jones? Just a few of the many questions surrounding the New York football giants. We continue our all 32 look here on Home and Home. At all 32 teams, off-season burning questions. Are they on the incline or are they on the decline, pointing towards a better future? We are in the NFC East all week, and it's the Giants. 4-12 and 12 last season, new quarterback Daniel Jones out with the Eli Manning era who retired after this season. This Giants team, to take you back, lost nine straight games at one point, and it looked like they were pointing straight towards the number two pick in the draft, which would have been a game changer for the Giants. But that didn't happen, and now it looks like they are out of the Chase Young running. Let's look back at the Giants' 2019 season with WFAN on the radio.com red zone. I did feel, I know you disagree with this, I did feel the Giants did get a little cute, though, 
taking Daniel Jones with the sixth they pick. They did the, the opposite of getting cute. They wanted a guy and they drafted him. They, Isn't they, that they, the opposite of being cute? I guess. Look, if they love yeah. Daniel yeah. Jones, don't mess around. Right? If you could bottle the first seven minutes of the Giant Cowboy <laughs> game, you'd be very happy if you're a Giant fan. The defense looked good. They forced a punt on the opening drive. And then, unfortunately, what happened is reality set in. The news came down that the Giants would indeed sit Eli Manning and start Daniel Jones this week against the Buccaneers. David Gettleman, you know, is deciding now this is what we have to do. And I, I agree with it. I agree with it wholeheartedly, 100%. Giant victory over the Redskins, second straight, 2-2 two and two now. For the Giants, I mean, to get to 2-0, and oh, I mean, a 2-2, two and two, and to get back to 500 and do this with a rookie quarterback in back-to-back weeks, you got to be feeling good about what you're seeing. They were so thoroughly excited to be able to go there and watch Daniel Jones and watch a different team during the fourth quarter. Just nice to sit here and watch our team in the fourth quarter without having any agita. Daniel Jones played his ass off. He's another one. I mean, he looks like he is, like, so far in front of where Sam Darnold is. Oh, I think that's not even funny. The, he, he's, he, he's not jumpy. Like, he stands there tall like, I am going to make a play. Whereas Sam Darnold the last two weeks is standing back there going, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. It was just perfect. The Eagles, who are just going down NFL's drain, are getting beat by the Giants. 17-3 at halftime. The Eagles fans are booing. This Eli redemption story can't get any better. And then all of a sudden in the second half, the Giants can't do anything. End up losing the game in overtime. Don't score another point. And here we are in a nine-game losing streak. The winds started to, are starting to blow against Pat Shermer now. You know, they're, they're the last couple weeks, you could really start to feel it. The Giants' inability to not allow huge plays, which they continue to do. I mean, that is the hallmark of this Giant defense. When you think of the defense <laughs> of 2019, here's what I think of. A wide receiver, wide open, with nobody within 50 feet of him. They went from first and goal at the one to third and goal from the 17. Wow, look at this giant defense. What happens? They give up a touchdown to Devontae Adams. It was the Giants at 12 men on the field. <laughs> so so they said, hey, we're going to put 15 guys on the field. We're still not going to be able to stop them. Uh, we felt like Pat Sherman was going to be let go. He's let go. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. When this team gets good, I think we can do better as far as the head coach goes. Matt Rule's taking the Panther job. He didn't even talk to the Giants. The Giants hired Joe Judge to be the coach. I'm like, Joe Judge? Really? I think I mean, that, I'm, I'm stunned. I think that that reaction, Joe Judge, Joe really. Joe Judge? Boy, it has been a wild ride for perceptions of the Giants from the media and their fans. That was WFAN in New York, always on the radio.com app. Again, Dave Gettleman was an idiot for drafting Daniel Jones. And well, even before that, for drafting Saquon Barkley and not going after Sam Darnold. Then it was Danny Dimes, the future Hall of Fame quarterback. Then it was nine straight losses. And then it was wins knocking them out of the chase young sweepstakes. It has been a roller coaster ride. And Ross, what is your five hour energy burning question about the Giants as we head into next season? You know, there's two. You kind of touched on the one with Joe Judge. Like, who is this guy? What kind of coach is he going to be? Uh, you know, and maybe you can say this about any first-time head coach, but I feel like we know 
less about Joe Judge than almost anybody that's gotten a head coaching job in recent years. And then Daniel Jones, of course. I mean, it's a quarterback head coach league. And it felt like at various times during the year, Daniel Jones took steps forward, then steps back. I'd say overall I feel good about him, but there's still a question there. And I don't feel great about him, and I think this year will tell us a lot. I'm a fan. I think that was a great pick. I like Daniel Jones. I like the athleticism, the decision-making, the poise. I think he is pointing upward. Uh, My burning question, five-hour energy about this Giants, is about Joe Judge, the 38-year-old first-time head coach who is the special teams guy and receivers coach in New England. Is a little inside baseball. This guy has five championships, three Super Bowl rings with Belichick, and two national championships with Nick Saban. But how much did Bill Belichick weigh in on the hiring of Joe Judge. That's all I want to know. Because if it was Bill Belichick that told them, hey, this is the guy that you ought to hire, then you Giants fans should feel pretty good. Because why did Josh McDaniels not get a job? Did Bill Belichick point them in the direction of Joe Judge over Josh McDaniels? Let's talk about it with the Giants' all-time leading wide receiver in just about every category, yards, receptions, and receiving touchdowns, a Super Bowl champ, Monty Toomer on the program. Great to have you on, sir. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker here talking about your Giants. What is your biggest question about this Giants team in the offseason, sir? How fast can they get better? How long is it going to take for the talent level on that team to be commensurate with other teams in the NFC East? That's all there is to it. I'm really high on Judge. Uh, from hearing the this, this scuttlebutt around um, the facility, a lot of people are very impressed with him. They feel like he is, you know, in a different, in a different, um, he's a, as a player's coach who can understand the younger players. And that's kind of one of the things that, uh, people thought was lacking with the, with the co- coaches in the past. They don't know how to connect with the younger players. And uh, Joe Judge is actually doing a great job of that so far, from what I hear. Amani, it's Ross. Good to hear your voice, buddy. Hope you're doing great. What's up, Ross? He's awesome. Yeah, man, great to hear from you. Uh, what about Daniel Jones? I know you watch all the Giants games. Sort of was up and down as a rookie. How are you feeling about him going into year two? Um, I'm excited. I, I just don't know what we have in, in him. Uh, you know, he had a couple good games early, but most quarterbacks, when they get their first start, are going to they're going to succeed because nobody has a book on them. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know how to. They don't know what they like, what they don't like, and they're basically they're playing honest. But the more film, the more defenses are allowed to cheat and take away tendencies, and that's when you know usually quarterbacks will have four good games and then all of a sudden you know go in the tank. I think he had some resurgence towards the end of the season. But the injury situation he got is with his with his with his ankle. Um, we just don't know. I mean, Giants aren't quarterbacks aren't um, used to being hurt. You know, we've had uh, you know Kerry Collins and then Eli Manning. None of those guys were hurt for that long, and uh, none of them missed that many snaps. So over the last say, almost twenty years, there hasn't been a lot of quarterbacks missing snaps because of injuries. Giants Super Bowl champion Amani Toomer, the team's all-time leading wide receiver with us 
on a Thursday home and home as we break down the New York Giants. I'm, I'm looking at the offseason needs for this team, and it is a long list, man. I mean, you could go wide receiver, O-line, cornerback, safety, edge rusher, and you could probably continue that list. But with number four, the, the pick, what direction do you think the Giants need to go? What is their largest need? I mean, this is a quarterback that didn't have a lot of targets to throw to last season. I think it's going to be either a defensive line or somebody on that defensive side of the ball because over the last couple of years, the Giants' defense has just been atrocious. I think it's easier to find – it's hard for me to say this, but it's easier to find good offensive talent, um, especially coming out of this draft with such a, a wide receiver, dra- a heavy draft class. You can go into the second round and get a guy that probably slipped out of the first round, not because of ability, but just because of you know, the fact that you know, there, there are so many of them. Um, so I would go with defensive line. Somebody got to rush the passer. There's been a lot of times where, you know, the Giants hadn't had a consistent pass rush. They can solve that uh, some, in some way. It'll make the entire defense just that much better. All right, we're going to welcome our good friend Nick Costos into this conversation, the host of You Better You Bet, 6 to 10 Eastern Time on the Radio.com app. Nick Costos, good to see you, my friend. Uh, you heard Amani Toomer's answer. What do you think the Giants need to do with that number four spot? First off, I want to give a big-time shout-out to Amani Toomer, who I think may be the single most underrated wide receiver of last decade, of 2000 to 2010. Um, was unbelievable, including a stretch in the early part of the decade where I think you can make a case he, was, case he was one of the three receivers in football, highlighted by that game at Indianapolis in 2002, and he absolutely destroyed the Colts with Kerry Collins. So big-time shout-out to Amani, one of the most underrated receivers probably in this millennium, and I really do mean that. Um, Giants' defense is terrible. they got to get a pass rush. Um, got to get some help um, on the offensive line as well to protect Daniel Jones, but if you can't affect the opposing quarterback, you've got no chance Giants haven't been able to do that for years they got to get some more talent on this defense there's no doubt about it so Amani here's here's my question for you and and maybe for both of you guys is there any buzz about the Giants like are people in New York talking about the Giants are they excited about the Giants I mean they got a new head coach they got a young first round pick quarterback but I don't know even talking with you guys I don't like I don't sense that there's a buzz about this team. Absolutely not. There is no buzz about this team. You go, you lose 10 games two years in a row, uh, you're not going to have any buzz, especially in New York City. You've got the, you know, the Jets, the Knicks, the Nets, the Yankees, uh, the Islanders, the Devils. I mean, they, they just go to another team. That's, that's hot. They're not hot right now. The Giants understand that, and that's why they made such sweeping changes to, you know, to have people in this, this city uh, take notice of what's going on uh, with the Giants. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of buzz right now, but I think it's also important to consider the fact that the Super Bowl just ended a couple weeks ago. So it's like, I don't think there's a lot of buzz, you know, unless like you're like a Patriots fan or like a Chargers fan right now with the Brady stuff or the Saints fan with the Breeze news. There isn't, there's not a lot of juice right now with the NFL in general. And the combine will get picked up in a couple weeks here and as we lead up to free agency in the draft. But I think there's going to be some excitement with this Giants team going into next year. And I think there's reason for it. And the Jets as well, locally in here in New York. Because you've got a third-year quarterback with the Jets that I think people are expecting big improvement from year two under Adam Gase and Sam Darnold. And like as a Giants fan, I'm, I'm kind of expecting good things from Daniel Jones in year two. So maybe not now, but I think... I think the buzz is going to build heading into next year. I don't think there's, these are Super Bowl teams, but I think there's reason think to believe that both teams will improve, Amani. There, I, I agree with you, but it depends on a lot on what happens in free agency that's going to get people excited, and more importantly, what happens in the draft. How is Dave Gettleman going to inspire through this draft 
the, the, the giant, uh, giant fan base because right now, I mean, they're sitting on their hands. And, and as they well, we should. Hate them. We hate him. Yeah. He's the worst. Yeah, he's the worst GM of yeah. all time. Like he's terrible. He's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Well, you said that, not me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of room for uh, for improvement in terms of the talent level. Like I said, just like I said, uh, opening my opening statement, it, it, they need to get better talent wise uh, to be able to compete because right now they are not competitive and they don't have near the talent they need to even be competitive. Before we let Amani Toomer go, we want to give you the opportunity, the Giants fan in you, to oh, ask man, Amani so a question. All right, um, let's go. Um, Amani, um, I'm, I'm sure that I, I wanted to ask if you feel like you're like the most like underrated receiver because that's how I feel, and I also think Tiki should be in the Hall of Fame. Those, those are my takes here. But um, outside of the San Francisco loss, which is the worst loss of my sports fandom, which was your like the loss that stung you the most? Um, as a Giants player, the, the the Seattle regular season loss, which one hurt the most? We lost to the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I guess that 2000. one stands out too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that 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 takes. I mean, it takes a lot to come back from losing a Super Bowl, and 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 you know, it's 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 not it's not an easy thing to get over. You're not just gonna be like, oh, okay, well, next year let's go do it again because you got to prove to everybody in that locker room that. You, you know, if you're the head coach, that you have what it takes and you know what it takes to uh, to win a Super Bowl. Look at the Rams this year. I mean, if you stop believing in your head coach, it just makes it that much harder to uh, to, to get to that next level and get back to the Super Bowl and get to have a successful season again because you start questioning things that he asks you to do. And uh, when that happens, you know, things go, you know, south quickly. And that's what happened with Jim Foster. He was, I think he was out of there a year after, uh, maybe two years after that Super Bowl. So, you know, it, it, you know Super Bowls change careers. It either puts you in a level, uh, a higher level, or knocks you down a whole couple, pe- a couple pegs. And if you lose one of those things, man, it hurts because you know how hard it is to get back there. No doubt about that. Giants all-time leading wide receiver, Super Bowl champ, Amani Toomer. Been a great pleasure having you on the show today. Appreciate the time, my friend. No, thanks. Appreciate it. So, Nick, let me get this straight, okay? I just want to make sure I understand this. You get a chance to ask the greatest receiver in your franchise history's Beckham's better by one a long shot. He's question. not the greatest receiver okay. in Giants history. Whatever. Second <laughs> best, okay? Whatever. Whatever you said, most underappreciated. When That's you were, true. When you, were, when you were kissing his ass, you get to okay, ask that guy a question. And you say, what was the worst loss? Wait, 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 it- wait. Beckham was better? Beckham I mean, was better? I'm on it. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yes! Beckham is better. I'm on it. I'm on it. I mean, He's look, a flash I'm on in the it. pan. Come on, man. He's played eight. He's played two, three years. Come on now. Come on. Come I put in 13. I put in 13. He put in three. Come on now. Come on now. Beckham's unbelievable, man. Beckham's unbelievable, man. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. That doesn't mean I agree with hey, you, but I hear what you're saying. <laughs> while, while we're on the subject, Imani, is, <laughs> is he the biggest waste of talent you've seen in the last 10 years in the NFL in terms of the hype, the skill, the talent, meeting the accomplishments? No, I, I think he's, his, the book isn't written on Odell Beckham. I, I just don't understand a lot of the things. I don't understand what his focus is because to be great in this game, you can't have any other – 
hobbies on the side. Like you have to be focused all at all times. I mean, I remember I was in the off season. I was always thinking about playing football. Like every day I'd work out two, three times a day. And I was thinking about football. I wasn't thinking about parties or all kinds of stuff. Although I did partake in a few, but that wasn't my main thing. Like I wasn't, and I don't know any great player that's really done it both ways where they could be a, a superstar fashionista or a, uh, you know, Instagram. King. I, I, it's just too much. And this game is all encompassing. And if you don't take it that way, then I don't see how you can sustain your greatness. And obviously he hasn't sustained the greatness that he came in with. Got your medicine Amani, there, Costa. Again, appreciate, appreciate the time and appreciate <laughs> you hanging around please please dissing him i had an i had an amani tumor jersey back in the day okay i just came on and said he's the most underappreciated wide receiver of this millennium i love amani I, I, but i mean I, listen I, I, oh, I, I, odell beckham's better sorry amani but you're uh, awesome <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. you know what's amazing you know amani you know what's amazing about that that, that? wasn't even his biggest faux pas in the 10 minutes he's been on so oh, far. Oh, it's your fault. I'm a fanboy. You let me ask a stupid <laughs> he, question. You know I love no, the team. No, it's no. your fault. He gets to ask a question. He gets to ask you one question, <laughs> and he says, what was the worst loss? That regular oh. season game against was Seattle? A, I think I killed you by Baltimore. The fucking Super Bowl. You lost the fucking Super Bowl, <laughs> and he wants to know – if the regular season loss to Seattle was the worst one. I mean, uh, you know what? Now I know why his show does such good ratings. He says stupid shit and asks stupid questions and yeah, entertains baby. stupid people. Stupid yes. people have, hey, uh, are you sure it wasn't that Week 12 game in 2008 when you lost to the Jaguars? They lost the Super Bowl, Nick. The it was all the game. The game. I'm sorry. Listen, Amani, watching that Super Bowl, man. My dad turns to me on the first play and goes, "Carrie's eyes are as wide as dinner plates. We got no chance." That. that I mean, the, it wasn't competitive. Like the Seattle game came down to the end to cost home field advantage in the playoffs. I mean, well, yeah, you know what happened. You know, you know what happened. Though we decided, we decided in our in a, Coach Fossil's uh, genius, he decided, hey, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna change everything we've done all year in our offense, and we're gonna trick them. And that's and and I'll never forget I'll never forget that about that game, and I'll never forget uh, forgive Coach Fossil for changing everything that we did well, and um, and so we went out there with a game plan that was just, I mean, I feel like the the quarterback in the XFL, you know, <laughs> what's his name, the guy who said he could change the whole game plan. <laughs> that's that's what happened. That's what happened. And but but I but I'm not playing, and I'm done playing, and I could just have opinions all day. So that's why. I'm still upset at Jim Fossil for changing our game plan and allowing us to get blown out by the Ravens and have Ray Lewis just dance on us and just destroy. It was just, it was just bad because I don't know how we, I don't know how we actually would have done against them if we would have just played and done the same thing that we've been doing all year and been very successful and put 41 points on the Minnesota Vikings. I don't know. Amani Toomer just pulled a Matt McGloin <laughs> about the Super Bowl. Oh, would be nice if Jason Seahorn could cover Brandon Stokely, by the way. Can Jason Seahorn cover Brandon Stokely and also a terrible holding penalty on Keith Hamilton on the Armstead pick six? Could have changed things, but you know, you know, you know. Could have changed things, but we could have moved the ball as well. Like, we could have moved the ball if we would have just done what we did. 
We had to stop. We had to figure out. We had to be too cute. You beat the undefeated Patriots, man, and it was the greatest thing of all time. So it's like, who gives <laughs> I'm being honest. Like, who fucking cares about that game? Like, you had the greatest win of all time. But like, it's who? That is so water under the bridge that it's like it never happens because the Patriots Super Bowl. Yeah, but there's a whole bunch of players that were on that team that never got to play the Patriots. It was me and Strahan, the only people that from that Super Bowl team that made it back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but Amani, Amani, here's my question though: the win over the Patriots, the undefeated Patriots, the Super Bowl. How did that compare? to week seven in 2005 against the Houston Texans. Which no, was a it was bigger like win? week 12 against the Seahawks in 2005. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. One of those, the memorable Super Bowl in week five? Uh, I don't know. I'm on it. I got the Super Bowl. Texans, though. <laughs> it was a big game. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we did, we, we, did, we did beat him. <laughs> We'll actually let him take his graceful exit after all that. Amani Toomer, (laughs) awesome to have you on, man. Uh, Easily one of the dumbest questions Nick Costos will ever ask, but at least you got a mulligan there, bro. You guys, what did you expect me to fucking do? Hard-hitting journalism? I'm a Giants fanboy, and he was like 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 my biggest Giants fanboy, period. The Super Bowl loss was like irrelevant because I got fucking slammed in the game. Like... They got killed. The game was never competitive. And here's my answer to Monty, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I love the Giants. The, the Gi- they could have played that game 100 times, and the Ravens would have won 99 or 100 out of the 100. The Giants were never winning that game, ever. And I love the Giants. It's a fact. Sorry. Well, you know what, Nick? That might be right, but I would just say if they should have just done what they did. I remember that NFC Championship game. They smashed the Vikings. They were actually on a run. And you know what? Everybody would say that about the Patriots and the Giants in 07. So let the Giants actually play Jim Fossil. Like, let them see what they can do. You never know what would have happened. And I know what you're getting at. That was such a blowout loss. I think think you wanted, like, devastating ending sort of loss. Like, which one, which devastating ending was the toughest for him to take? Well, I'm going, yeah, I'm just, like a, a fan perspective here. Like, the Super Bowl was like, it was over. So it's like, it didn't really stick. It sucked, but like, they got killed. Like, that's, you're right. And it, look, it was a dumb question by me. There's no doubt about it. But I would no, also I, say it's your guy's fault for giving me the opportunity to ask a dumb question. Well, I thought Fanboy wouldn't want to take one of his favorite players back to a painful moment. Generally speaking, I would think Fanboy would want to take a player back to one of his crowning achievements. I verbally filleted him for five minutes. Crazy. <laughs> All right. Quickly, I, I want to get one more take from you on this playoff expansion. Again, yeah, I'm the grumpy old man. I don't like eight day teams building in the fucking playoffs. But I also don't like the idea of one versus one seed in the Super Bowl for the next three years. You as a gambler, don't you think that makes it that much more likely? Seven straight Super Bowls have been won by a team uh, that had a bye in that first round. I don't care. Really? But why, but like, who, not, what, what is it? But, but, but like, okay, so here's where I'll come. So we want to talk about like the sanctity of the regular season and like all shit like this and like really rewarding the regular season. Like what greater reward could there be for a great regular season by only having one, one buy? So like the Ravens would have gotten the buy. The Niners would have gotten the buy. The fraudulent Packers wouldn't have gotten a buy this year. You wouldn't have had that mess at the end of week 17 where, where the Dolphins knocked the Patriots out um, and gave the Chiefs the second buy. I, I, I don't really think it matters one way or another. And like I said, like, I don't really care. Cause for me, like you're asking me, right? Like 
I want more shit to gamble on. How much fun is Wild Card Weekend going to be, guys, when, like, there are three oh. games on both Saturday and Sunday? Like, that's, like, the best thing of all time. Like, that becomes one of, like, it already is one of the best weekends of the year. That might become, like, the best weekend of the year in sports and sports gambling. Six Wild Card games on Wild Card Weekend. That's tremendous. All right, so here I got a couple XFL questions for you, Nick. And by the way, I agree with you on the playoff expansion stuff. Here's my first question about the XFL. First of all, I got three questions, I think. We're now two weeks in. We're almost at week three. Based on week two, do you like it more, less, or the same? Well, I like to gamble. So, like, you know, I would say the product is right now maybe like a little better than what the Alliance was last year. But the quarterbacks in this league, by and large, are like are not very good. And this shit's got to get figured out. I'm hopeful that the offenses get better as the season moves on. But I like to gamble on it, man. Like, I, I know that I like the XFL because last week I went to a Valentine's Day dinner on Saturday night with uh, with my girlfriend. And I as we walked into dinner, I was still pissed at the the beat I had at the end of the, uh, the Tampa-Seattle game. That's how I know I kind of like something. But like, it sticks with me after I lose a bet. So I, I'm in on the XFL, man. I like gambling on football, dude. I think it's awesome. So I'm, I'm in. Okay, so then that leads to the next question, which is... They talk about the betting and the over-under and stuff like that a decent amount. I heard Joey Galloway talking about it. Does that make a big difference to you as a professional gambler and and betting expert? Or it's like, I know what the over-under is. I know what the line is. And I'm watching the game. I don't really give a shit if these guys talk about it or not. Well, again, I, I answer all questions through my own selfish um, personal perspective and prism. So a lot of a lot of alliteration there kind of and I, I didn't mean it for it to be. Um, I look at it and I'm like, wow, this is awesome because like whether or not like it's actually like actionable information, which it isn't. It's like they just put the line up on the screen and they're not really like doing like a deep dive into it, which is OK. But I think it's like, you know, the dip in the toe in the water. Maybe it's more like like knee deep in the water now. And it just means that it's going to get more. There's going to be more of it as time goes on, which I think is really exciting. I think it's an exciting time in the space, both in the sports gambling space and the sports media space in general because of this impending boom. So, you know, maybe it's not like the greatest thing right now, but I think it's a portent of things to come. And I'm and I'm really into that. Got it. Okay. And then the last question along the same lines is, is there an opportunity here? You know, like for people that like to bet on football, how tight are the lines? Like, do you look at it and say, I think I can make a lot of money here because the lines aren't great. Or is it the opposite? I barely know who these dudes are, these teams. I'm losing my ass. Well, I think we can honestly, like we should probably have this conversation in a couple weeks or maybe even next week. Cause I have like, I have two spots in the XFL this weekend that I'm looking at and I'm like, wow, like these are like unbelievable money-making opportunities that I'm looking at. And I've, and I've, and I'm, I haven't bet on one of the games yet. I'm waiting for more injury news to come out, but I'm going to bet it. I think I'm going to bet it at least probably. And then I have already bet the other one and we can kind of go through it a little bit here, but I think it kind of remains to be seen. You know, we're only two weeks in, so the lines are definitely are definitely tight. I think the adjustments have come on the totals here. I think it's interesting is now we've seen like one of these totals in the New York um, St. Louis game is low 40s here. So I, I've heard some people say this week that they're blindly betting overs after blindly betting unders the first couple of weeks because I think we'll see a, a shift a little bit and it'll go back the other way. I think it's a really, honestly, Ross, it's a really tough question to answer. And anything I said to you would be like what I think is going to happen, not what I know is going to happen. So I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure just yet. 
I'm not really sure about anything when it comes to this NCAA tournament, Nick. And I don't know if you watched last night. I mean, I'm a Duke fan who watched one of the worst performances by a Duke team in maybe ever, 10 or 15 years. Easy. You bet on NC State, bravo. I mean, the worst loss by a top 10 team to an unranked team in some 40 years in college basketball, but it really does represent what's happening all year long in college basketball. How the hell do you bet on the game today as we get closer to the NCAA tournament? Do you have any tips? Because it just seems like a crapshoot every night. I think with college basketball, it's it's pretty interesting. And it's it's unlike it. I actually think it's probably, and I'm not the only person that would say this, We've had a lot of pro bettors on You Better You Bet that will echo these sentiments, especially like because the NFL kind of goes right into college basketball and you can bet college basketball during NFL season, obviously, because the season starts in like November. The college basketball is one of the easier markets to beat. Like the NFL is like impossible to beat. College football can be very difficult to beat. The NBA, once you have a handle on it, is beatable, but can be very difficult if you don't know like what you're doing. And like it's very hard to like parachute in. College basketball is kind of a beatable market because you've got a million different games. So there's generally like on the board at least like one or two games every night that have got some value. And I find that generally and like some people may kind of shit on this and poo poo this, but I just think it's. I mean, I, I do well betting on college basketball literally every year. Just kind of like follow the money, really, with 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 college hoops where if like and, – and look for obvious spots. So, for instance, right, it, it doesn't always work out like this. And I actually haven't looked at the line yet. Give me a second here. I'll bring this up here. So, Oregon is playing Arizona State tonight, and this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about in college hoops where Arizona State is not ranked. Arizona State is the home team in this game. Oregon is is ranked in the top 20, and Oregon is like a short road favorite. That's what it was last night, at least. I don't know if this line has moved at all. I'm just bringing this up here on Sports Insights, which is one of our partners at the Action Network. Yeah, or- Oregon's a two-point favorite here. I'm probably going to look to bet Arizona State tonight because you've got a home underdog that's unranked, a slight home underdog against the team that is ranked. So it's like, it's spots like that. I actually think college is kind of, it's one of the easier sports to make. It's not easy to win money on overall, but it's easier than a lot of the big sports. All right. My question is with what Dave said about how up and down the season is, will that make the tournament easier or harder to bet on or have no difference? I think it's probably no difference in terms of like betting on games. But in terms of like filling out a bracket, I think it's going to be exceptionally hard because it's it's insanely wide open. Like, like Baylor and Kansas are playing on Saturday, right? The game's in Waco. Like, that, that's number one against number three. But I feel like how many people out there are super confident that Baylor's going to get to the final four, even with the unbelievable win streak that they've been on, and they've been covering every spread, and they've been killing professional betters because they get faded every game. Or, like, how many people are really confident in Kansas, even with, you know, like the great inside-outside combo of uh, Doka Zabuke and Dotson? Because Bill Self's teams have had so many failures in the tournament, like, how can you really feel confident in Duke when Duke lays eggs like they laid last night against NC State? And conversely, you know, Gonzaga's in the top five. Like, do people really know how good this yeah. Gonzaga team is? What do we make of San Diego State? Undefeated. The Aztecs, but like, they're doing it against a, a shitty conference. So it's like, what do we make of San Diego State? They have kind of like that Wichita State feel from a couple years ago when the committee put Wichita against Kentucky in the second round and Kentucky knocked them out. So like, I, I think as far as like filling out a bracket, it's going to be highly difficult. I don't really think it makes that big of a, of a difference though when it comes to like betting individual games. Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, 
You can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.